we are going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 28. And I knew that I knew. I knew that I knew the most about Jesus and God and how all that worked the first day I was saved. Maybe you feel that same way. And then every day thereafter, I know that I know less than I thought that I knew. This is one of those chapters where it poses so many questions that you go, oh, I don't know anything. I had a pretty good idea of how this situation worked. I don't know a whole lot. If you've read ahead and you know the chapter that we're in, this is one of those chapters that poses so many questions that you go, oh, what do I do with that? I didn't think that could happen. I'm pretty sure that's not supposed to happen, God. This is one of those chapters. So really fun. Let's read the first few verses, uh, just verses 1 and 2. In 1 Samuel 28. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So we come in very suddenly to this story about David, where David just made some pretty rash decisions and probably made some choices he, he really shouldn't have made. Right now he's in the Philistine country serving Achish of Gath. Achish is the king of Gath. And so he's kind of playing for the other team. He's not, not going against Israel, but he is living in the nation of the Philistines and serving the king Achish of Gath. And it, for me, that's really super encouraging. Because if we're going to go into a chapter where we're going to be talking about really confusing things and things in the Bible that, to me, don't make a whole lot of sense and pose a whole lot of questions, I think it's super important that you open a chapter like that with, here's the guy who's supposed to be king. And he's a man who's after God's own heart. And David had the courage to stand in front of a giant, in front of everybody else. And you look at him and you go, wow, what an example. I could never be that. If I want to be kingly, if I want to be good in God's kingdom, if I want God to look at me the way he looks at David, there's no way I can measure up to that. I think it's really good to open a chapter with, you know what? God's kingdom is not founded upon human merit or human deeds or how well you do or, or keeping up with doing all of the right things. God's kingdom is founded on free grace, that all people are in desperate need of it. Even David, who's the best king Israel ever had, who did really awesome, amazing things, he made some bad choices. And right now, we're kind of in the wake of that. You come into David's tired of getting beat up. He's tired of getting pursued by Saul. So he's going to go over to the Philistine country, and he's with this guy named Achish. He's the king in Gath. And he says something I think is really, it's, it's not on accident, but I think it's really funny. It's this tiny thing the Bible puts in there that the first time you meet someone from Gath, his name is Goliath. David meets Goliath and takes Goliath's head, right? That, that's what we know of him. What's fascinating is when Achish says, you're gonna be my personal bodyguard, the literal Hebrew there that he says is, you're gonna be the keeper of my head. I just think that's really funny, just the irony there. The last time we met someone from Gath, David kept his head, and now 
Achish, who loves David and does trust David fully, he uses that terminology apparently to say, you're gonna be my bodyguard for life. And David does spend quite a bit of time with, with the Philistines. The next time we hear from Achish, he's gonna say, David's been with me for days and years. So it's been some time. So David right now, he's hiding with the Philistines. He doesn't know how long he's gonna be with them. His season there is quickly coming to a close as we're gonna see next week. But right in the middle of his story, you've had all this going on with David. We've been tracking with David, following David. His story stops suddenly, right there. Just comes to a stop. And then we get this really weird passage of Saul's last night. It's the last night before a very serious battle where Saul is gonna lose his life ultimately. And so this, this passage is, is almost just kind of like shocking. It's, it's just thrust there. You're, you're learning about David, 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 this strange thing about Saul, and then we're back in with the story of David. But it, I think the Bible does it intentionally for you and I to look at some things, keep some principles, and then take them with us into the rest of the story. So let's look at what happens. So we're moving on from David to Saul. Now Samuel had died. And all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel. And they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, behold, there is a medium at Endor. So in this chapter, you've got Two people, it opens with. It's got these two people. Both of them were supposed to be kings. Both of them, you had really high expectations for them. And both of them, they've kind of completely just messed up in a way that you would think, you know, there's no way of coming back from that. David is now living with the Philistines. God didn't want his people intermingling with the Canaanites. And now the king is literally intermingling with them. Is, has a, a place of, of high status amongst the Philistines. And then you got this other guy, Saul, who's actively looking for things that God doesn't want his people dealing with. Over and over again in the Old Testament, you have God saying, people who dabble in that stuff, you cast them out. You, in fact, they're supposed to die. You, you do not have those people intermingled with you at all. You've got Saul and you've got David, both people we had high expectations for, both making really bad choices, doing the wrong things. In a way... Saul and David both kind of picture a few of Jesus' disciples, where you have, Saul's kind of like Judas Iscariot in a way. And David's kind of like Peter in a way, who denied Jesus, and as Jesus was being actively beaten, and as Luke says, David, or Peter at one point, can actually make eye contact with Jesus as he's being beaten. At the end of 1 Samuel, there's two anointed kings, but neither one of them here lives up to their God-given responsibility. And the result is that when David sits on the throne, he's going to do it just by the grace of God. So you've got Saul, who you have these high expectations for. He's kind of like Judas, where he, hey, you've been given every opportunity in the world. You've been given every chance, and you still choose to reject it, even at every opportunity where God gives you a chance to turn back and say, God, I'm sorry and repent. You don't do it. 
But then you've got Peter, who denies Jesus within eye contact of Jesus, and he's a huge moving member in the, the church being formed and Christianity being spread and because he chose to repent and chose to come back to the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry, what can you do with me? How can you use me? And so right here, you've got the super weird section of the Bible where you have these necromancers and these people who can talk to the dead that Saul has put out and now he wants to go and look for one. And there's a lot of things in that. And so like for me, my wife has really been joking with me lately. I'm kind of a nerdy person. I think all of that kind of stuff is interesting and kind of fascinating. And I really like magic. In fact, we had someone who's on staff now, but when they first started coming to Edgewater, had a really hard time coming here because of me. Because I was in the kids wing doing magic tricks with kids thinking like, this is awesome. This, I, this is a tool for me to talk to them about Jesus. She's like, that's not good. Like you've got some bad witchcraft happening in the kid's wing. Right, so, so it's like this. Imagine you're at middle school summer camp. These kids have had nothing to drink for 48 hours but energy drinks. They've had nothing in their system except for sugar. And now you're sitting in front of them and you've got an opportunity to talk to them about the Lord, but somehow you've got to get them to pay attention to you. So what I do is I bring out my special Bible. It's not my normal Bible. This is my special middle school camp Bible where I need to get their attention. So I'll be talking, okay, guys, here we go. We're gonna talk about Jesus. And, and I, they're not listening to me at all. I've lost them. And so what I do is I open up my Bible and I say, okay, guys, I really need you to pay attention here. No, is it dead? <laughs> well, normally there's lighter fluid in there and it goes, <sighs> It's really cool. This is super anticlimactic. <laughs> but normally that's what happens and you've got this fire in front of you and the kids are all, and you just, I would, I would tape my Bible verses in here and I would read them and the, like you could just tell all eyes around me and then you just close it and it goes, and it's gone and you just talk about Jesus. The kids are locked eyes on you then because they're all, is he not gonna acknowledge that his Bible is on fire? They're like stuff like that. Bummer. All right, I have to get a new one. Anyway, so I, I, I like magic. I like that kind of stuff. I think it's interesting. I think it's exciting. But really, I'm a fraud. Like, my magic is just anything you could buy for $20 on Amazon. That's the extent of what I can do. There's no spiritual influence in it. In it. There's no, like, weird stuff that I do. Anything that I can do, you can do better, obviously. All right? You'll use lighter fluid beforehand and not the morning of. So... So a lot of times when we think about the, these, these necromancer stuff or, or people with tarot cards or people who can read your palm or, or psychics, sometimes we think, well, you know, that's just a fraud, that's just a gimmick. It's to get people who are very sensitive or people who are um, kind of weird. Maybe it's a way for them to make money off of them and take advantage of people. And sometimes I think that's true. I think sometimes that's totally true, that there's people like me who can get a $20 thing off of Amazon and convince people that they have some sort of special power or insight, and they can convince people to give them money for it. Totally. I think that happens all the time. But I think there's actually something real in it as well, because the Bible doesn't say, hey, don't worry about it, don't try, because it's impossible. All those people are frauds. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, hey, this is forbidden, 
because God's people have other ways of discovering God's will and God's plans, that there actually is a way, a a possibility for people to tap into the spiritual realm and get things that God says, that's not how I want my people to get things. That's not how I want my people to discern things. That's not how I want my people to see the future. That's not how I want my people to see how things are going right now. That's evil, I don't want it. And so Saul apparently at one point had decided he was gonna kick all of them out. I'm gonna get rid of all the necromancers. I'm gonna get rid of all those psychics. I'm gonna get rid of all that stuff, get them out of the Israel, push them out, because that's what God wants us to do. And it's very possible that this is towards the, he knows this is the end. There's something about him that's anxious. He's worried. He knows a time is coming soon, and it's tonight when he's not gonna have another day. And so maybe he pushed all of them out and said, you have to be gone because he knows the time is coming and he wants to earn his way back on God's good side. Maybe if, if I do what God says now, if I get all these bad people out, then God will, will change his mind and things will be better. You know, when we've been living in disobedience to the Lord, there's always two ways we can go. If you want to get back on, let's just call it God's good side, is you can turn to God and repent and say, God, I'm so sorry, I've messed up. I, I'm, you, can you please forgive me? Or I'm gonna follow all the rules, I'm gonna do everything right, and then God will see that I really mean it. That I'm gonna follow, I'm gonna do everything God wants me to do, and I'm gonna finally listen to him, then he'll know I mean it. There's always two ways we could go. We could either turn to God and ask for forgiveness and be repentant, or we can earn our way back. And I think Saul is one of those guys where he thinks, I'm gonna earn my way back. And what Jesus says in Luke 18 is there's these two people, and both of them come to a temple and they stand before the Lord. And one of them says, God, I tithe. God, I pray. God, I got so many Bible verses memorized. I'm so happy I'm not like that tax collector down there. You are so lucky to have me on your team. And that's what his prayer looks like. But then Jesus says there's another guy. He's the tax collector. He can't even look up to heaven. Instead, he looks down, he beats his chest, and he says, God, could you have mercy on me? In a, a, could you have mercy on me, a sinner? And Jesus says one of those people leaves and is justified. It's not the guy who does everything right. It's not the guy who finally kicked out all the bad people in town out of Israel. It's the guy who says, Lord, can you please forgive me? God, can you please help me? Because this thing isn't working. God, I've been going in the wrong direction and I need help. Saul had every opportunity to do that. But instead he figures, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it my own way. I'm gonna finally do what God says, then God owes me. Then God has to do what I want him to do. And so it's the eve of his last night. I think Saul knows it. He, he knows that the war that's gonna happen tomorrow is not gonna go in his favor. And so there's this great confrontation that's gonna happen. And so Saul and the Philistines, Saul knows that I need God's guidance, I need God's direction. And so instead of going to God, because he's tried a few different things, I've, he's tried the Urim and Thummim, he's tried going to prophets, but instead of actually going to God, he goes to this medium, this necromancer woman, this woman who is not of God's people who God said you should not intermingle with. So look at verses eight through 19. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went. He and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, divine for me, a, divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name for you. The woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. 
Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Just pause right here because I know I'm gonna forget to say it and it's important and so I just wanna say it. Um, she says, I see a God coming up out of the ground. That word God in the Hebrew is Elohim. Everything in the spiritual realm, every entity is an Elohim. So um, an angel would be an Elohim. You and I, when we're in eternity with God, would be an Elohim. So it's not that Samuel has, has ascended in a way and become his own kind of God like some cults would teach. That's not true at all. It's just saying an Elohim, something, a spiritual thing is coming out of the ground in a way that she didn't really expect because upon seeing Samuel, her eyes are opened and she's able to see this is Saul who's lying to me right now. Interesting, wanted you to note it. Let's keep reading, verse 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hands of the Philistines. So if you remember, it was a while ago in 1 Samuel 15, Samuel is talking to Saul. What happened is Saul, he fought against the Amalekites. He fought against Amalek. He fought against Amalek, and God said, don't take anything. You're not gonna take any of their sheep. You're not gonna take any of their cattle. You're not gonna take any of their spoils. You get rid of all of it. That's what God said to him. But then in 1 Samuel 15, he doesn't obey. He takes the things that seem good and says, well, I can put this to good use. I mean, it's not all bad. And he rationalizes it, and he he, he makes concession for it, and he brings it all home, and so Samuel comes and talks to him. And this is what Samuel says. It's really fascinating. First Samuel 15, 22 says, and Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen to the fat of rams. For rebellion... Rebellion 
is as the sin of divination, which is what Saul is doing right now. He says, rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So this evil thing that Saul had done by rationalizing a, this thing God said I can't do, it, this, he doesn't really get it. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know how well I could use this or how, what my talents and my gifts are. I can utilize this. And he brings it home and he says, yeah, this little bit of evil thing that you did is just as bad as the worst thing you could do. He says that this sin is just as bad as divination. This sin is just as bad as, as the worst thing that you're gonna end up doing, Saul. And so Saul ultimately over his life ends up moving, the, moving his uh, boundaries, if you would, over and over and over again until divination finally seems like, you know what, this is the reasonable thing to do. This is the thing I have to do, even though I know I'm not supposed to do it, even though it was explicitly brought up earlier in my life that this is an ultimate bad thing to do, this is my only choice right now, I'm gonna do it. And isn't it interesting how sin does that for you and me? How that's the game that Satan plays for you and me. It's always about moving yours and my boundaries. Hey, this is just a little thing, it's not, not a big deal. Most people just don't understand. A lot of people struggle with that, but I don't struggle with it. It's an issue for most people, but it's not an issue for me. Or, you know, it's just a little bit of money. No one's even going to notice. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's just, it's just a little thing. You know, it's just, a little bit, uh, it's just a little bit of texting, just a little bit of flirting. It's not full-blown idolatry. You know, we, we, we have these boundaries, and we say, you know what? I'm going to move them over just a little bit. And whenever you move your boundaries over, you've got to recenter yourself, and, and now your boundaries have kind of changed. Whenever you start moving your boundaries everything has to move with it. So now the thing that is now your boundary, well, that's, that's not so bad, is it? So you move your boundaries again. Well, that next thing, well, that really, that's not so bad. If I'm doing this other stuff, this is fine too. And, and we just keep moving them and moving them until you're like Saul and you say, you know what? This is gonna be fine. This is, this is my only recourse. This is my only solution. This is gonna be fine. And so Saul, that little sin that he did earlier, it just makes way for greater and greater and greater sin. There's this video going around that my wife and I think is so funny where it's this guy and he's sitting with his buddy and I have no idea why they were filming it. But they're, they're sitting down and his buddy brings him cake and he, he takes a bite of the cake, takes another bite of the cake and they're talking. He goes, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I started keto this morning. I can't eat this cake. And his buddy goes, what? And he goes, yeah, I started keto. You know, I'm trying to eat healthier. And he goes, you can see his friend kind of thinking about it for me. He goes, we had burgers for lunch. And he goes, Phew. We did have burgers for lunch. You're right. I, that's not keto, is it? No, it's not keto. And he goes, and you had a milkshake. And he goes, that's not keto either, is it? No, it's not keto. And he goes, and he, his friend's thinking about it. And we got back to my house. You opened up a new bag of chips and ate like half the bag of chips. And he goes, that's not keto either. And his friend's like, no, nothing you've been doing is keto. And how often I think we do that ourselves, where if we say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, and I think people closest to us would go, okay, because the thing you're currently doing, the thing you did with me at lunch, the thing you did with me as soon as we got back to my house, none of that really seems like keto. None of that really seems like what you're choosing to define yourself as. I mean, if, if a tree is defined by its fruit, your fruit's not showing me necessarily that. And that's not to be condemning. Like, that's not to be, okay, if you don't live a certain way, then you're not really Christian at all, because that's not what the gospel teaches at all. 
But there is a way that you and I are supposed to live to show the fruit of we, we are walking with this God. We are God's people. We want other people to come and follow the same God that we follow. And if we're bearing bad fruit, that, that's not super helpful. When we say we're a Christian, people go, yeah, okay, sure, that's keto. And it's funny to them and it's silly to them and it, it, it's not how you and I are supposed to live. It's not supposed to condemn us. For, for all of us, I think it's really healthy when we ask, okay, where is my center? Where, have my bound, where are my boundaries right now? How have they moved? Have they moved to a place that I don't think they should be? Are they in a spot that I know isn't consistent with how I wanna be called as a Christian and how I talk to my spouse or how I raise my kids or how I do things at work or, or who I'm interacting with online or on my phone or what things I'm engaging in outside of work or, or any of that? Have any of my boundaries moved? Because it can happen very suddenly. It can happen really easily. And it can happen quickly. It could just completely run you over and, and, and take everything away from you. For you and me, we need to remember, as believers, we're able to boldly approach the throne of grace in our time of need. That there's not a point where it's, well, you're not a Christian anymore. I'm not saying that at all. You and I are able to boldly approach the throne of grace in our time of need because we've been covered by Jesus' blood and every single sin ever has been paid for. Everyone that you have done, everyone that you're currently doing, and everyone you will ever do has been paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross. But it's important for us to ask as believers, as Christians, okay, am I centered on that? Is this where I'm at? Because every time that there's a, a, a prophet that tells people, hey, you're not living the way that God wants you to live. There's always opportunity for you to repent and change and go back to where you could be. Jeremiah chapter 18 gives this perfect picture of it where the prophet goes by the Lord's leading to a potter and the potter is making this, this clay vessel and he's not satisfied with it. He's not happy with it. He's not happy with how it's turning out. But he doesn't toss it, he doesn't throw away, he doesn't get rid of it. Instead, he takes special care to recenter it to continue to mold it until it's in the shape that he wants it to be and he's satisfied with it. And that's you and me. And it's our job as Christians to say, okay, God, will you recenter me today? Will you put me back on the center and will you mold me and will you shape me? And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that hurts. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes he's got to smooth the bumps out that are in us and that can be painful. But we say, okay, God, ultimately, I know you're the potter. You know things that I don't know. Will you shape me today? Will you recenter me? Will you mold me into the person that you want me to be? But instead of seeking the Lord, instead of doing that, Saul, he goes after this medium. He seeks spiritual guidance in areas that he knows he shouldn't. And in fact, future believers, when they write the Bible about what happened with Saul, what they'll say in First Chronicles is this. This is the reason Saul lost his kingdom, this is the reason Saul died, is 1 Chronicles 10, 13 through 14 says, so Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of Yahweh and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from Yahweh, therefore Yahweh put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. That this is like, this is the last straw. This is, this is it, okay, it's over. Tomorrow, you and your sons are gonna come home with me. This is the last straw. And so this situation, what happens here? Saul goes to this gal. This gal is able to raise a spirit up. This spirit could be Samuel. This spirit, this spirit could be Satan. I mean, Satan's able to make himself appear as an angel of light. 
So it could be totally demonic in and through. He is able to prophetically tell the future about what's going to happen with Saul and his kids, which does happen with a demonic spirit in the book of Acts. So it could be demonic. It could legitimately be Samuel. Either way, there's something here that's very confusing that posts a ton of questions. Like my mind just reels with, well, what does that mean? Does this still happen today? How does that work? How did she learn? All this sort of stuff. Like all, my, my brain just wants to, to go into all these questions that the Bible does not answer. It doesn't. There's so many things I want to know and I want to ask, but the Bible doesn't tell you and me. I want to know it, but it doesn't tell me. It just tells me what God wants me to know. So like, here's a text that will make believers argue and bicker and fight for the last thousands of years and will, they will continue to argue and bicker and fight until Jesus comes. It's actually the first verse in the Bible. It's Genesis chapter one. In the beginning causes fights amongst Christians. Is the world 5,000 years old? Is the world 5 million years old? Is the world 20 billion years old? That has caused some arguments. That has caused issues. That's caused divisions in churches. But is that what God wants us to do with that text? Is that to, to, to figure out, okay, mathematically, if this person was this old and this person was this old and there was only this many kids in that next generation, then this is, is that what we're supposed to be doing? Is that the focus that God wants us to have? Is that what, how God wants us to use that text? See, because I think we can do that and miss out what God is actually trying to get us to see, which is in the beginning, God created that the text isn't about how old the earth is or if there was dinosaurs walking with people or if people existed with this group of animal. It, the text is supposed to get you and me to see a creator God that's gonna follow throughout the rest of the Bible, a creator God who loves his creation so much that he would give anything for them. It's supposed to get you and I to see the heart of God, that the creator God, the one who set every star, every mountain, every valley, every tree in its place, and every treasure and every mine of gold that's in the earth would look at you and say, oh, you're better than all of that. I'd give up any of that just to have you. That's what we're supposed to see. But that text, we can get all caught up in, well, is the earth 5,000 years old? Is it a million years? Okay, I, don't, I don't care, you know? Like, ultimately, I don't care if the earth is 5,000 years old. It doesn't matter. I don't care if the earth is 5 million years old. I don't care if you believe the earth is 20 billion years old. If you believe the earth is 30 billion years old, you're a heretic and you need to leave. You know, like, no way. That's not the, the point. The point is that you and I are supposed to recognize, no, there's a creator God. That's the thing that he wants us to see. And so... In this text, there's a lot of questions that kind of can divert from what God is trying to get you and me to see that we can focus on and be interested in, but ultimately it's not important. So you've got the story about Daniel, you got the story about Saul, and the story about Saul is supposed to get you and I to, to get these important key things conveyed to us. And so a believer... So a, a true thing, a, a true point that the Bible's trying to get to you and, my, you and me to understand is a believer in the true God. A believer in the true God, the God of biblical revelation, should never be drawn into the realm of the occult. That's not something that you and I are supposed to be focused in, overly excited about, and searching through. And I don't know if you know this about Southern Oregon, but Southern Oregon's a big hub for the occult-type stuff. 
that in Western Seminary, which is based in Portland, they talk about Medford and Grant's Pass because that's what we're big and known for. It really is. And so this practice of the occult, this practice of seeking demonic influence to get to know the future, get to know your past, or get to talk to ancestors or or any of that stuff, this this practice is specifically condemned in, in Mosaic Law and Leviticus and Deuteronomy that anyone practices these things, they should be put to death. They need to be gone. They can't exist. They have to be eradicated. You can't spend any time with them. And the reason that God makes such a big deal about it is because it's real. That's not supposed to be regarded as superstition. It's not supposed to be regarded as deception. But the Bible recognizes the presence of supernatural power. And for this reason, the people of God are supposed to have no involvement with any of that stuff. I, I, I don't know how much of this I'm really supposed to share, but in July, I had a meeting with a gal who I know was demonically possessed. And I don't, okay, so here's the problem. For the last 2,000 years, the church has heard teachings that have made people believe less in demonic stuff. Where we go, that, you know, that's, not, that's not true. That didn't happen. Because preachers or, or, or cult leaders would teach in a way to make people think, that, oh, wow, they, they're awesome. That ha- I need to follow this guy. I hope I've demonstrated with the fake Bible thing with the fire. Dude, I'm lame, all right? There's no part of me that thinks I'm awesome. There's no part of me that thinks I'm great. That, that part is I got married young and it died early, okay? I know I'm not awesome. So here's what happened. This gal comes in. She doesn't want to make eye contact, um, she tells me some stuff that she's been involved with and it, it's, it's evil. The stuff that she's been doing is evil. She's been actively pursuing evil things and been doing the things that it tells her to do, she says. And you know what? If you don't know this about me, I'm not super into that. So I'm like, okay, you're either telling me a story or you're probably crazy. Like that's, that's where my head goes. That I'm, I'm going to mental illness probably first and foremost. And, but she's not making eye contact with me. She's kind of doing this whole thing. I wasn't really expecting to go into this, but here we are. And... And so I said, well, do you want it to stop? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, I can't do anything, but I have a God, his name is Jesus, and that if you, if, if this is a demonic thing, that he can make that leave. I can't make it leave, but he can. And so we kind of discussed that for a little bit. And um, so she's, she's just kind of fidgeting, doing this thing. And I, I just decided, you know what, I'm just gonna read some scripture because I don't know the right thing to say. I don't know the right thing to do. So I go to Psalm 139. Because just part of me, just I've, I've always loved that text. So I go to Psalm 139, and I start reading Psalm 139. And as I'm reading that, she shoots up, walks over right next to me. I'm in Matt's office next door, and just stares at me. And I'm still thinking this is mental illness. And I'm like, what are you doing? So I, I'm just reading. I'm pretending it's not happening. This is the most awkward thing that's ever happened to me in my life, you know? And so I'm, I'm reading this thing and I get to the end of Psalm 139 and she's still standing there and I'm looking at my Bible and I'm just thinking, man, what do I do now? So I turn and I look at her and this is the first time that she makes eye contact with me. And she says, it says, stop talking to her. And, and I tell you what, like when that happened, some, there was something in me that was like, afraid like like there was fear that hit me 
but then also just this, like, there's this anger, but I don't think, looking back on it, and I typed it all up, looking back on it, I don't think it was my anger, I think it was the Holy Spirit, was, there was this anger of, like, uh, how dare you, and also, no, like, that's mine, you have no claim on, like, that kind of stuff, and so there's this, like, fear that was in me, but also just this anger, and I just went, no, I don't think so. I'm gonna keep reading until you decide to sit down. We can keep having a conversation. And then that went on for like another half an hour. We, we talked for a long time. She decided to give her life over to Jesus. We came out here and she got baptized and she's walked with the Lord today. The point of me telling that story is Jesus, it, it was a defining moment for me in my walk with the Lord. Jesus rescued that girl. But that girl got into that stuff. She was raised in the church. She got into that stuff because if you really seek something out, you will find it in this life. If you really seek spiritual things out, you will find it. Even the Lord, the Bible says, if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. If you, you seek to, after Jesus, you're going to find Jesus. If you seek after Satan, you will find him. And he will paint himself as an angel of light and it will seem attractive and it will seem good and it will seem like the right thing to do. But it leads to only pain and heartache and hurting and she was at the end she's like i'm i'm gonna kill myself and now she's doing well she's living in texas and, it, and things are awesome for her so a thing a truth that you and i are supposed to grab from this text is believers in the, the the god of biblical revelation we don't we don't deal with the stuff of the occult that's not what we're called to do we're called to get our direction we're called to get our mission we're called to get our significance all from jesus and jesus alone that we're supposed to look at him, the founder and the finisher of our faith in every circumstance. Whatever's going on in life, it seems like tomorrow's the end of the world. Tomorrow I'm gonna die. The, the armies are at my door. I'm not gonna seek the world system. I'm not gonna seek the, in the demonic. I'm gonna seek Jesus and him alone. I'm gonna put my trust in him because ultimately he's the only one I can trust in. So that's what you and I are supposed to do. Not the occult stuff, but just Jesus alone. And so another I think important truth that you and I are supposed to take from this is that when people persist in sin, sometimes God gives them up to that sin. That people who choose to continue to abandon God, sometimes God abandons them, and that's what happened to Saul. In Romans 1, verses 28 through 32, Romans 1, 28 says, and since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That there's a lot of people who choose to persist in sin, and even though they know it's wrong, God has come after them, God is, is seeking them, they still choose to do those things. And sometimes God says, okay, enjoy. See where that leads. See if that's gonna lead to flourishing. See if that leads you to being happy. See if that leads to everything working out the way you want it to. Sometimes the best thing you can do for an addict is let them hit rock bottom. Sometimes the best thing that God can do for people who are persisting in sin is to say, okay, enjoy that. See where that leads you. See how that goes. Up until even this night, Saul has the opportunity to say, 
I'm, God, help me. God, fix this thing. But he doesn't do it. He seeks anything else. He won't turn to the Lord. The Philistines are preparing for an attack. Saul is terrified. And he does the thing that he knows he ought not to do. And so ultimately, seeking the Spirit's guidance through the witch didn't get him what he wanted. It declared and confirmed that the kingdom that he so badly desired was going to be given up and that his kids are going to die along with him in battle. And so the woman and the servants that Saul brings with him to meet this woman, they ultimately, they, they prepare his, his last meal. If you look at verses 20 to the end. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the, women, and the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, now therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman urged him. And he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf. Sorry. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house. And she quickly killed it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. So for you and me, where do you and I go when we're desperate? Saul is desperate. Saul doesn't know what he's gonna do. Saul, at, at every moment, every opportunity, could have turned to the Lord for the last many years. But instead, he's doing things the way that he thinks he ought to do. He's seeking things of the world. He's seeking any other thing but Jesus. Where do you and I go when we're desperate? Do we seek the wisdom of the world? Do we seek self-help? Self-help. Do we seek what Oprah has to say? Do we seek what any other person or idea or group has to say? Or do we go to Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator God who knows you and me and our problem better than you and I know our problems and say, okay, Lord, will you take it? Will you do something with this? Will you fix it? Jesus knows more than me. He can see more than me. He can take the situation and then he can fix it. Where do you and I go when we're desperate? And so this week, if, if you look at your life, if you take a, an evaluation of it, if you're going to look at where you're at today, if you look at where you're at and you think that you're off center, you feel like this is what God has called me to be as a believer, as an as adopted son of God. This is who I'm supposed to be. This is where my boundaries are supposed to be. And you just feel like you're off center. Your boundaries are somewhere they shouldn't be. That your life is bearing fruit that doesn't make sense with what you claim to be. If today you feel like you are off center, if your center has moved, ask him to remold you and to shape you even today, and he'll do it. That you can be like Saul, where you can continue to run from him and know it's gonna be okay and know I'll figure it out. And that just leads to heartache and disappointment and your kids missing out and everyone feeling bad for you. Or you can choose to be like the prophet Jeremiah saw, someone who looks at God and says, you're the potter, I'm the clay. Will you put me back on center? 
Will you shape me? It might hurt, it might be frustrating, it might be difficult, but will you shape me into the person that you want me to be? Will you help me see people the way that you want me to see them? Will you help me to forgive people the way that I've been forgiven? If today you would look at your life and think, man, I'm off center, our God wants to recenter you even today. And he'll do that for you if you ask. So Jesus, we pray that we would be people who in humility would be able to come to you, approach the throne of grace and boldness and say, God, I need help. God, I need to be recentered. That there's a lot of things in this world that can be scary and can be difficult and can make us feel like we need to, to, to seek the things of this world or even, even talk to spiritual things to, to get guidance and to get insight and to get help. But Jesus, we've got the best help. We have the Holy Spirit that lives in us. We have access like David, like Saul, couldn't even begin to believe that we get to approach God's throne of grace boldly when we're in need. And so Jesus, today, if we're off center, will you recenter us? Will you shape us? Will you mold us? Will you put us back where we need to be? Will you help us to see the boundaries that you've placed around us, that they're there not to keep us from having fun or keep us from having understanding or insight, but the boundaries are there to keep us loving life and seeing good days, that they would cause us to flourish, that living within your boundaries causes your people to experience true happiness and true joy. So Jesus, please help us to be people who in humility could approach you and say, Lord, shape me, move me, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, make me into who you made me to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.